I'm Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to Cape Up. Dr. Ruth Westheimer is 91 years old, and she's been doling out frank advice about sex and relationships for 40 of those years. Don't tell my mom, but when I was a teenager in New Jersey in the 1980s, I used to secretly listen to her show on WYNY Radio on Sunday nights. So, for something different, very different this week, I thought I'd call up Dr. Ruth to catch up. I'm in the documentary on her life called Ask Dr. Ruth, and have her answer some serious and thoughtful questions I solicited via social media. We talk about what you should and shouldn't do during the coronavirus quarantine, and as you will soon discover, Dr. Ruth was fixated on a study of the G-Spot that was released the day before we talked that had her crowing with vindication. I can't possibly tell you what else you'll hear. Just know that this is a fun conversation meant for adults and is one where listener discretion is advised. Dr. Ruth Westheimer, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are welcome. Jonathan, tell all of your listeners and all of your fans of, um, uh, of this famous Jonathan that right now, you are all over Israel in the documentary film about me as Dr. Ruth. And guess what, Jonathan? They all love you. <laughs> so one day you have to go with me to Israel. Oh, oh my God. Your husband too. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I would love that. And for those of you who have not seen, have seen the documentary Ask Dr. Ruth, uh, it's on Hulu. And it, it she's talking about me because... I'm featured in the documentary. I did an interview with Dr. Ruth at WNYC Radio back in 2018, I think it was. And I was introducing Dr. Ruth, and she stopped me mid-introduction because I didn't say the word sex with enough enthusiasm. You didn't say sex with enthusiasm. <laughs> so in the difficult times right now, but we'll survive the times. Uh, I want everybody to know that they have to remain positive and they have to uh, know that this will be over and that we will all learn some very good lessons from it mm -hmm. of, well, how to, yep. of how to cooperate. Uh, I'm staying home. That's what they told me to do because I'm going to be 92 I have to stay home. I stay home. Even though today is a Jewish holiday, Passover, so I'm doing the Seder, the, the Passover meal, uh, on, uh, on my little iPhone with my daughter in uh, New York, in Riverdale, my son in Ottawa, and we are going to fulfill the obligation that every Jew has to talk about coming out of Egypt from slavery to freedom uh, every year. So we are going to fulfill this obligation. And I'm fulfilling it with my friend Jonathan. <laughs> yes. And you can also talk about from slavery to freedom. Yes, indeed. And happy Passover, Dr. Ruth. And you were talking about your, your daughter, Miriam, and your son, Joel, who also figure prominently in the documentary. But I want to point out... 
and my uh, my my grandchildren. Oh, yes, your four your four grandchildren. Then I want to point something out from the documentary that you said that is actually kind of fitting for the time that we're in now that we're all sort of staying at home and trying to ride out this the coronavirus. You pointed out that because you didn't have parents from the age of 10, you became very much aware of the importance of being touched. And in this moment, when we have to socially distance and we can't be within six feet of each other and and we can't touch each other, talk about the, the very importance of being touched and how that's... Very important, yeah. Jonathan. You are brilliant that you bring that up. Because, first of all, uh, my son, Joel, who is a professor of education, wrote a beautiful article in the Ottawa paper about parents sh- don't have to be the teachers of uh, the first grade teacher of their children who are home right now. And I'm saying, be careful, parents. It's in the post two days ago on Monday on page six that I'm saying, parents... Do not fight in front of your children these days because they will think right away that you're getting a divorce. If you need to fight, go to sleep, put the alarm at 1 o'clock in the morning, get up and fight, and then go back to sleep. I don't want to have children, since I used to be a kindergarten teacher, to be even more worried about what's happening in this world than necessary. We have to try uh, to say, look, we are living in difficult times. We can't hide that. But Mm -hmm. we have to say, we will get over it. And uh, everybody like me, Jonathan, at the age of 92, I'm listening. They told me to stay home. I am home. I'm going to see to do the obligation of the Passover meal on the iPhone or on or on Zoom. It's not true, Jonathan, that old people can't learn new tricks. <laughs> I now have a Zoom computer. I now oh. have I'm 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 getting there. Oh, <laughs> Soon I can see you. you and then me. I'm going to make you say that word of my specialty. Sex. I'm going to make you say that in with enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, yes, ma'am. If I have time, can I say something very important? Sure, of course. For, for all your women listeners, Jonathan, mm-hmm. for many years, they always ask me about the G-spot, that there is a spot inside the vagina, if properly stimulated, would bring about a fantastic orgasm. For years, I have said no such thing unless I get scientifically validated data. Right. If there is such a thing, stop making women even more anxious about sex and stop telling men that they are not good lovers because they can't find their G-spot. So yesterday in Cosmo is an article online they did a study. There is no such thing as a G-spot. Can you repeat that? There's no such thing as a G-spot. And I remember listening on so WYY. Women not worrying about it. <laughs> and, and all of the men who listen to you yes. know that there are 
that, that, that it has nothing to do with being a good lover because there is no scientifically validated data that there is such a thing. I remember listening to you on WYNY in the 80s, and the G-Spot was a big conversation. And even though I was a preteen at that point, trying to figure out what on earth is this G-Spot and what is the clitoris and all of this other stuff. Um, now, some 40-something years later, uh, I'm glad to hear that this was this was not a thing. But before I asked, I, I, Dr. Ruth, I asked folks on Twitter and Facebook to send me questions that they might want to ask you, and I want to get into those in a moment. But for someone like you who is constantly busy, you are in, you were before, before staying at home, we all had to stay at home, we're in constant motion. How are you dealing with only being able to be in your apartment? Right. So very difficult. However, I am very disciplined. It is very interesting, Jonathan, that you're asking that. In Israel, in Haifa, the, 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 um, the, the culture of German Jews uh, like um, being disciplined is very much alive. They have very few cases. Uh, somebody like me who comes out of that culture when authorities tell me to stay home, I am home. I'm not going out, but I'm very fortunate, Jonathan. When you come to New York, you and your husband, I take you to my home. I show you my view. Right now, I'm looking out on the Hudson, the George Washington Bridge to my left, the Tappan Sea Bridge to my right, the palisades in front of me. With oh, that's majestic, a beautiful view. Majestic Hudson. I, uh, David, um, Jonathan, I told David Rockefeller, the short one, before he died. Mm-hmm. I once told him, I was on a committee with him for, for Tryon Park. I'm on the board. I told him, Mr. Rockefeller, I don't want any money. He smiled. I just want to tell your family, thank you for buying the Palisades of New Jersey, because I look at it every single day. And on a, on a time like today, when things are difficult for everybody, there's no question, you have to find some things that make you smile. Now, I have to tell you something important, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. I'm getting an honorary doctorate from Israel's Ben-Gurion University, so I'm already looking forward for that. I'm just trying to look forward for those things that um, that are happy. And, well, maybe and, maybe and, that's uh, the trip. Maybe that's the trip I can come to to uh, Israel with you on. Okay, it was it's postponed from May to um, October, and um, I tell you what I'm doing. Typical Ruth Westheimer. They did not ask me for anything. I have a few honorary doctorates from this country. This is my first in Israel, and I'm very happy about that one. So I'm going to waltz in, not walk, (laughs) not with a cane, waltz in with an endowed scholarship in psychology at Ben Gurion University. They didn't ask me for anything. 
they're giving me an honorary doctorate for the work I've done. But I will come in with an endowed scholarship in psychology. So that's, that's what I'm raising money, but not from people like you, Jonathan. <laughs> right. well, I, mean, I have some point, rich people who give me money. We, we, we should point out that this is also significant because you were a sniper in, um, what is it, the Haganah. Yes. Back in, what was that, 1940 1948. 1948. So you, and I was, if you remember, I was badly wounded. Yes, you, there was a bombing and um, in Jerusalem. And that's why I, I sort of giggled when you talked about waltzing in to Ben-Gurion University because you almost lost your, your legs or just your feet? Just the feet. Yeah, you almost lost your feet in that bombing. And, and now I can waltz in? <laughs> I didn't think of that. You are brilliant. Well, the, I didn't the, think of that. <laughs> and I will waltz in with an endowed scholarship of $100,000? That is fantastic. And I don't ask people like you. I got it already. Oh well, that well, you, well then that means you are a fantastic fundraiser. So, Doctor Ruth, let me get you in um, to a- answering some of these questions. I actually, I I got quite a few. Um, and to go back to to one of the things that we can't do anymore, at least in the short term, and that is to touch each other. And um, someone on Twitter who goes by the handle not a tweeter sixteen asks, "Do you have any ideas?" for how people can resolve touch deprivation and related issues while still abiding by social distancing guidelines? Yes. What I'm saying is, first, we all have to listen to the guidelines. Mm-hmm. There is no, no, no two ways about it. However, I once had a, <laughs> had a fundraiser uh, for, for Try and Park, where I'm on the board. I told the Edison people, Con Edison, because they, are, they had given us money. I said, from now on, I'm going to tell everybody to do it. You know what that it is. Uh, to, to have sex with the lights on. So what I'm going to tell all of your listeners, uh, it's going to be an adjustment, but eventually the authorities will tell us it's okay to touch again. And one one of the things that people need to keep in their mind is they have to keep a good spirit by saying we are all in this together and we all will have to survive. So it's very sad that so many people are not making it because of some health issues. But we have to keep an optimism uh, despite the fact that at the same time, listening to when the authorities say to stay home. I am home. I haven't been outside. I'm going only down to get the mail. Actually, we should give a shout out not only to the health professionals. They are wonderful. But also to the, to the mail people. We mm-hmm. get mail. That's amazing. I have another. I, I have another question, um, also from Twitter, and this is one of my one of my biggest Twitter fans, and I'm a big fan of hers. Nancy Lee Krieger. She asks, 
as a lifelong health sex educator, she'd like to ask you what you'd view as the most important area to focus on in high school health education classes. What issue or topic do you feel is neglected? Okay, first of all, tell her bravo to be an educator. Tell her these days sexuality education has to start earlier because girls, she knows that, girls menstruate at an earlier and earlier age. We do not know why. And boys and girls have to know about menstruation and they have to know about nocturnal emission. So I don't hear any more of a mother screaming at her son, uh, a junior high school student, what's the matter? How come you don't urinate in the bathroom? How come you urinate in bed? He doesn't urinate. He has nocturnal emission. But they didn't know. She didn't know and he didn't know. So your friend has to make sure that the curriculum of the high school gets adopted for junior high. It junior has to high. be at an earlier, and she should be pleased that she is an askable professional, and we have to teach parents and grandparents and everybody to be askable parents. So and that children can ask those questions that they all have about sexuality. Mm -hmm. Very, very important. And it has to be in the language they can, that they can understand that nothing is dirty, nothing is uh, not to be asked, as long as everybody respects. Do you remember? When you listen to me on radio, how I told gay people, we do not know about the etiology, the reason for homosexuality, one thing I always knew, respect is not debatable. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to continue teaching. But now, tell your friend, we have to teach that in a language that fits younger children. And one thing, Dr. Ruth, that you also have been saying since I was listening to you on the radio um, in the in the 80s was that there's no such thing as normal. Right. Because we just do not know what is normal. The only thing that I know that you and I uh, do discuss on your program and I discuss on any program that wants me that we have every person deserves respect. And I have to go back to that G-spot because that makes me smile. <laughs> but for years, everybody was annoyed at me. How come this little sex therapist, whom they say is famous, is not willing to talk about or to write about the G-spot? And now, Cosmopolitan, bravo to you and bravo to Jonathan. You are the first person that I'm talking about that in the entire world. <laughs> How perfect is that? <laughs> I just heard about it yesterday, and you are the first one on your program to tell your listeners, relax, smile, say that Dr. Ruth was right, that there is no such thing. 
Well, you know, to that to that point, I have two friends, Mike Fredrickson, who's uh, out in Seattle, and Carrie McIntosh, who's in New York. They both asked me to ask you the same question, and that is, um, considering that your viewpoint on the G spot and whether it's real or not, is and you're not believing that it was real has been vindicated by Cosmo they're both wondering if you have ever reversed your viewpoint on anything or if you've ever changed your mind about some of the advice you've given very interesting question the answer is yes and I'll tell you what Mm -hmm. right now I'm working the book that I did sexuality in the Jewish tradition the title is heavenly sex has just been accepted by NYU as a classical. It will never be out of print. And we are um, uh, kind of making a few changes to your question. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were were some things in in that uh, book about homosexuality that we just, like everybody else, did not know enough. So there are some things that I just said we have to take out. We did. So I have a writer, Jonathan Mark. His name is also Jonathan, like you. Uh Uh-huh. But he's Jewish, not like you. No. (laughs) (laughs) He's Jewish, and he's one of the editors uh, of the Jewish Week in New York. Mm -hmm. So he was my co-author, and he took out some of those passages that 25 years ago, we just didn't know better. And so now I'm very happy that I had an opportunity to correct that. Uh Do you remember what those passages were? Uh, No, not offhand, Uh because they were small, small issues. But but what is very important is that um, I always would admit I didn't know then, now I know, or I would say, I still don't know. Until mm-hmm. yesterday, I would have said about the G-spot, Jonathan, don't ask me that question, I have no idea. Another person, Scott Buxton, asked, what was the most surprising or shocking thing you found in all your study of sex? <laughs> okay, I, every time that I'm being asked that, I have a smile. <laughs> Somebody once asked about this, about um, sex with animals. Oh, my God. And I said, I'm not a veterinarian. Next question, please. (laughs) 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 So I always was able to kind of not say, what a stupid question. (laughs) Uh Except, Except sometimes I have to say a stupid question, but not often. But I have... But but I can say I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not interested, not interested at all in sex with animals. But have you been asked a question that um, just completely blew your mind? Not really. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, the, the, for example, uh, when I've been asked about threesomes uh-huh. or group sex, I, that's not my cup of tea, but I always was able to say, be careful, people, because that third person that you are letting in your bedroom might be a better lover. Then you are losing out. 
that's true for anybody, for gay people too. Mm-hmm. If you get a third person in, that third person might be a better kisser, he might know how to caress better, he might just be more sexually adapt, and then you lose out. So, so you no know, third person in my way of thinking. Huh, so, so then you don't think... Except, that, yes. Except you can use your fantasy. Now, but if you use your fantasy for a third person, do not use your next-door neighbor. That's too near to reality. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, wait a minute, Dr. Ruth. Uh, okay, so you just said that um, threesomes is not, not your cup of tea. But then what would you say to those uh, many, it seems, more than when I was growing up, polyamorous uh, uh, relationships that are out there? Do you think that those, is it possible to be in a long-lasting polyamorous relationship? Not in our culture. In Mm. our culture, be grateful you have a husband. Be grateful, Jonathan, that these days you can actually marry. And when you open the New York Times, you see how many people, how many gay people are divorcing. That always makes me smile because that shows that we we are advancing. They can get married and they can get divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do Great. not believe. Progress. I don't believe in our culture that uh, in a productive, good relationship that it has it, it has to be two people. Mm-hmm. I'm old-fashioned at a square, and look with a G-spot study that I was right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let me get you to answer some very specific questions here. Um, my my friend John Oswald, who who is gay, he he asks, "Do you buy that?" As he says, "Nonsense that size doesn't matter." Say that again. Size does not matter. Yeah. Do you do you buy that? That size does not matter, except right. if it's a minuscule penis, that might be a problem. <laughs> but other, otherwise, size has nothing to do. With a good sexual functioning, and uh, that has, in my way of thinking, that should hold true for heterosexual and gay relationships. Mm-hmm. Most important is, is to please each other. And these days, Jonathan, I want to say on your program, I want to say something. These days, we have difficulties being with other people. I do believe that people should masturbate, not in public. (laughs) I'm old-fashioned and a square. But (laughs) women and men, if they feel sexual tension, instead of being frustrated and then being unhappy, close the door, masturbate, and then go on with whatever you were doing. No one has, you've said so many things no one has ever said <laughs> on my program. Um, here's a, a question from, from um, a woman friend on Facebook. I'm not going to say her name because she didn't give me the permission to, but because of the nature of the question. And the question is, what's a good sexual position for a person with rheumatoid arthritis? And she sent me another message 
asking, please, I hope you ask her that question. So I know this is serious. Okay. Here is a perfect example. Jonathan, I do not know. I don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. She has to ask a medical person who knows about that disease. Mm-hmm. My entire career, I do know that there's not enough knowledge and books about diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or other diseases and sexuality. More needs to be done. I do not know. I would never give advice on something that I don't know. However, here is my advice to her. Please have the courage next time you see your doctor to ask. Very often, people are embarrassed to ask their doctor, and that we have to change. Next time, say to the doctor, can you take two minutes? I need to find a better position for uh, my uh, sexuality, uh, my sexual needs uh, so that I don't feel frustrated. Okay. Um, Craig Shipman, um, a friend in Chicago, I believe, is asking this question for a lesbian friend, and that is, do dental dams prevent the spread of COVID-19? I do not know. Okay. But give them the answer that I said. I don't know. I would never say or speculate on something like this. I don't want to see more um, uh, sexual uh, problems or more sexual diseases. So I will be on record on your program that almost 92-year-old Dr. Ruth Westheimer said, I don't know. You don't know. Um, and that's also another life lesson. Never be afraid to say you don't know, no matter how old you are. Um, here's a question from a college classmate of mine, Joanna Bear. In all your years, what have you learned about love? What I have learned about love is that nothing comes easy. Relationships, love, being together have to be worked on. And especially in times like today, people who are in a relationship have to be so grateful that they are not alone and they have to work at the relationship. If there is something that they don't like, not now, wait until this crisis is over and then some people should go to therapy to work out their differences. Um, Doug Graham asks of you, who would you like to be quarantined with? (laughs) Maybe Sigmund Freud, because (laughs) I would teach him that he was sexually illiterate. He said nonsense. He said that any woman who needs clitoral stimulation in order to have an orgasm is an immature woman. He did us women. A tremendous disservice. So if I need to be with somebody, I want Sigmund Freud here to give him a good lecture. (laughs) I will sit him down. I will say, you are brilliant. You are a scientist. I have liked many of what you said, but you also taught some nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) 
He talked his... nonsense about the clitoris. Take your word he didn't for it. Know better. <laughs> And here's uh, Dr. Ruth. Here's the, the last question. And the last question um, is from my own mother, because I asked her, I said, I'm interviewing Dr. Ruth. You have a question you want me to ask her? My mother is 78. So and her question is, am I too old to fall in love? Never, never, never. Go and find somebody and fall in love and let me know. <laughs> you don't have to give me his name. But go and find somebody as soon as this quarantine here is over. <laughs> nice question. <laughs> that is you weak. don't have to tell your son. Your sex <laughs> life is none of your son's business. Oh, don't worry. I don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> Dr. Ruth Westheimer, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. Please have me on again. Every day. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. 